Welcome to PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. I'm Mark Pfeffer. This edition of PeopleTech is brought to you by ADP. Its next-gen HCM is designed for how teams work and helps you break down silos, improve engagement and performance, and create a culture of connectivity. Learn more at flowofwork.adp.com. Today, I'm speaking with Brianne Wilson, Manager of Product Management for Core HR Compliance and Compensation at ADP. We're going to talk about, obviously, compensation and compensation philosophy, things that you should consider when you're designing your compensation plan and why it all matters. It's really not as obvious as you think. Brian, thanks for being here. First, can you tell me what, what's a compensation philosophy? And as employee expectations change, does the compensation philosophy change with it? That's a really great question. Um, so starting with the, the compensation philosophy, if we, we went by my handy textbooks, I mean, the way to think about it is there's a lot of metrics out there of what are people being paid in a certain job, in a certain location, at a certain type of company. But when it really comes down to it, like as leaders in your organization, you know, say we're just starting a, a business together and we're really thinking about how we want to pay people, your compensation philosophy is sort of your mission statement for how you reward your associates. While you may have a certain job that makes a certain range, you can say, we want to be competitive. You know, while product managers might make in New York City, they make you know, X, Y in a salary range, we know that there's some really great talent here in New York City. And so in order to be more desirable, and we know the hard work that product managers put in, we're going to increase our range in this particular area and invest in this area to draw in more of the top talent. Whereas there's other areas where maybe we don't need to invest quite as much. And that's really what your compensation philosophy is. It's not so much making sure, are we paying people? Are we paying people what they expect in the market? It's really setting that vision statement for yourself. I talk about a lot with my teams and the products we're building of compensation being, we often think of it as a science, but there is an art to it. So it's an art and a science, but at its core, deeply personal, because what you're paying someone is what motivates them to show up each day. It's the way a company reflects their investment in respect in you. It's how they recognize the work that you are contributing. And then at the end of the day, that's how you put food on the table and put a roof over your head. And making sure leaders are keeping that in mind helps contribute to a really strong compensation philosophy. And in terms of how that's changing today, I mean, even just what's happening right now in the world, it, it all ties to compensation on top of that. You know, the younger generation, you know, there's a trend now in, in sharing uh, what, it, you know, salary ranges on job postings, which, you know, used to not do. It was very not okay to ever bring up the compensation question in your interviews until you're like, you've already invested tons of time into interviewing. That is a huge shift. And, and if we think about the momentum that's more happening, I we actually saw it this morning on Twitter of somebody saying, hey, these, these companies that are, are saying they're progressive, why aren't you posting your salaries? That's what the, these upcoming generations are really expecting, of really transparency in pay, because we don't live to work, we work to live. And the best way to reduce biases, the best way to ensure everybody has a fair and equal shot is really making sure you know what those salaries and bonus plans and stock options are like. If you have that strong compensation philosophy, 
your ability to be transparent to the public about what you're paying people ideally and likely to be able to happen together. The compensation philosophy and transparency, do they go hand in hand or is transparency a part of compensation philosophy? I'd say, I'd say it's the latter. It's the ability to be transparent would be a part of your philosophy. You know, we, we intend to invest in these areas and we are going to be transparent with the public across all of our jobs. We are gonna list them accurately uh, to everyone so that anyone who's applying, everybody who works here knows what each other makes. That could be your compensation philosophy. As you mentioned, the desires or the demands of employees change over time. How has comp changed over time to meet those demands, especially as the workforce has gotten younger? They, they are being forced to, to become more transparent because I, I've seen it happen if somebody shares with their colleague what they make. And so two people who have the same role uncover there's a huge disparity. And that disparity might be across you know, a man versus a woman, a, a white person, person, a person of color. And this younger generation is just so empowered in speaking up for themselves. And that's going to have them you know, go to leadership and say, I, I contribute the same amount of work, I have the same job, I found out this person makes X percentage more than me. So that compensation philosophy of incorporating transparency is a direct result of those changing expectations. I think it's also the way we are operating as, as a country that's a high cost of living, the extraordinary amount of student debt that especially these younger generations are, are shouldering as they leave university, the expectation to understand, am I going to be able to live off of what you might be offering me? And I'm going to work really hard, especially in the tech industry. If I'm going to be putting in a lot of hours, what's your investment in me? Because it's extraordinarily expensive to keep a roof over your head. So how is it that companies get their compensation wrong? And, and why do you think they get it wrong? Oh, for me, it's all stemming back to that idea of a compensation philosophy. Compensation, there, there are people who are experts in this field. They're actual compensation practitioners. There are certification courses just in how do you not only create a philosophy, but how do you actually create structures around that? And it's not always an area that companies are able to invest in or are aware that even exists. I've worked at many startups. So it, it wasn't really until I came here that I even was aware that this role really existed. And I think areas that I've seen where we sometimes get it wrong is relying solely on the science piece. And organizations understand to, you know, let's do pull survey data, let's go on websites that promote uh, what, what the salaries are in a certain area, and, and we'll just go by those. But if you aren't being strategic and you're not thinking about where you want to make that investment to really pull in top talent, then you're, you might lose out on the people who you really want to invest in your company and, and provide the work that you're looking for. So oftentimes it's, a, it's like a moving target sometimes with your compensation structures of, okay, we've done our surveys and we've created our job grades and we kind of, we've figured out some way to adjust for cost of living, but it's not focused enough on, on enough different criteria, are job grades enough to ensure you're making up for all of the different ways you could be paying for someone. Where you live is really just one thing that would have an impact on what you should be making and, and managing it and making sure, you know, are you reviewing it on a frequent basis? So some companies only review their compensation structures 
every three years. It depends on your industry, of course. You know, some place, you know, in the public sector is very different from the private sector. You have more leeway in the private sector than you do in the public sector. But I've seen them be very much just output oriented of, okay, here are our ranges and we're paying everybody inside the, the right ranges and everybody's compa ratio is one. And we make sure our high performers are maybe above a one, but really taking that human aspect into consideration when you're making compensation decisions and thinking about beyond outputs, thinking of outcomes and thinking of insights and impact. It's not just about your budget. So some places will start with a budget and say, well, here's how much money we have. What can we give people? Not even taking survey data into consideration. And I often advise people of, you should have your compensation structure and your compensation philosophy completely outside your budget and then figure out how your budget can make that work. You mentioned before the science behind compensation and a lot of employers depend on surveys. How does that work out, do you think? I mean, where do surveys fall short? (laughs) I, I'm not envious of anybody who has to be the people who make these decisions. I'm, I have the fun job of just figuring out how to help them. It's, it's like a lot of numbers and it's, are you pulling from enough surveys? Are you pulling from the right surveys? Are, you know, is the population size large enough? And that's still just the science of getting, okay, you know, all product managers in New York City have on average, this looks to be about their range. And eventually enough survey data can get you to to that, but again, wait, surveys surveys won't highlight where where are are we making missteps as as a society or in different locations. Like, is those average salary range for a product manager in New York missing what the actual cost of living adjustment needs to be? What is happening in in each location? Even if you use the surveys to create your structures. When you go in as a manager, this happened to me the first time I had to do my compensation reviews for my direct reports, I got really, really stressed out. And I was like the last person who should feel like terrified of this based on my job. Uh, I got really, really nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, there's all this information that's coming at me. There, there's, oh God, I've got a minute and a max and here's my budget and, and what, what does it mean? And what if, what if I'm like a horrible person? What if I just really feel like being mean today? I, I don't think this is accurate, but I was like, what if I don't get along with the people who, you know, who report to me? How do I know that I'm making the right decision? And I didn't, I didn't feel that the numbers were enough because everybody who reports to me, it's, in my opinion, I'm very lucky to say, you know, they're all high performers, but that doesn't mean they're high performers all in the same way. And that's something that surveys cannot assist you in. And even performance reviews, which is your way of evaluating people, that's still a more of a you know, that's sort of bring qualitative into the science. But even, you know, two of my direct reports, if, even if they both get four out of five on a performance review, doesn't mean those fours mean the same thing. What if there's a person who's always been a four? What about somebody who was a two and now they're a four? Uh, what if I knew something was going on with that one of my direct reports? They were having a personal tragedy happening that I knew impacted the work that they were doing. There's, there's a lot of personal touches when you're making those decisions, that simple survey data and compensation structures just really cannot be able to spit out a number and tell you what to do as a manager. ADP has compensation data, and I wondered if you could tell me what's the role ADP's compensation data can play, and also, why is it unique? Why is it valuable? The, the main thing being just the sheer amount of data that we have. I mean, ADP processes payroll for, I guess, one in six Americans, so we have a ton of data of what we are paying people. 
and there's a lot of different ways we can you know slice and dice that data to to provide insights and that's that's been a big focus uh, for ADP is really how do we translate all that data all that science so yes we can contribute to the science but science is important we, we just have the sheer wealth of data that is unlike any other organization when it comes to what people are paying people well then the technology that we have to provide insights I think is where we're really making a huge difference because you you can uncover things around you know diversity and inclusion and and whether or not there's any unconscious bias happening at your organization and to help you better contribute to that compensation philosophy. I heard, a, heard an example of a place where they, they gave a, a differential based on gender. They wanted to close the wage gap. They understood that there was a bias happening. So, so what if we took things like that, those things that might just we not be aware of, to add to our compensation structures. And just this, that sheer wealth of data that ADP has helps to, to figure out where are we making missteps. And I, th I think that's where we really become powerful in the compensation world as we keep growing. And my last question is, what do you think the future looks like in terms of compensation? How do you see ADP building toward it? I think what I see for the future of compensation, it really comes down to shifting that focus from just being a science to understanding it's an art and being incredibly personal. You know, again, like the need to shift to transparency, the upcoming generations of our workforce demanding that transparency and advocating for themselves, the cost of living, the student loans that we're shouldering, all of those things we've already talked about here today. I think that's what compensation is shifting, making those shifts to being more insight and impact driven. So taking those insights and figuring out how we can make change, I think is where I'm seeing compensation heading. That's my goal for, for the compensation products and, and where ADP is heading is how do we keep collecting this data and start advising leadership and advising our managers of maybe you need to make this consideration in your compensation structure. Again, I, I think it's such a great example of finding areas where you could put premiums on you know, small percentages here and there to just make up for the fact that there might be bias in your organization. Publishing your agenda, your practice of how you create your compensation structures is where I'm seeing things heading more and more. It's not just going to be practitioners who are aware of why the decisions were being made. I, you know, we're starting to show breakdowns of, okay, you got a 12% increase in your annual review, but here's all of the decision points that went into it. You got your merit because of your performance rating. You also got a cost of living adjustment. And then you also you got a promotion increase or any other number of reasons of really communicating in all, all rankings in an organization of why every single compensation decision was made it is really where it's heading. I feel like it's always been a black box. I think that black box is very much about to be blown wide open in, in the coming years as compensation keeps scaling. Brand, thank you very much. Thank you, this is great. I love talking about compensation, so uh, anytime. That was Brianne Wilson, Manager of Product Management for Core HR, Compliance and Compensation at ADP. And this has been People Tech from the HCM Technology Report. This edition was sponsored by ADP. Next Gen HCM, designed for how teams work. Learn more at flowofwork.com.
www.adp.com. And to keep up with HR technology, visit the HCM Technology Report every day. We're the most trusted source of news in the HR tech industry. Find us at www.hcmtechnologyreport.com. I'm Mark Pfeffer. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.